So good morning. Uh, we are embarking on a new season. The snow is melting. Uh, aren't you glad, by the way? Yeah, that's exciting. Um, we're finding things all of a sudden, aren't we, in our lawns uh, that our kids left in the fall. And we're going to start a brand new book of the Bible this morning. We're going to be the first service to do the poor job at a drum roll. Can you give me a drum roll? I'm going to give you the next book. You ready? Here we go. All right. A little better than the first service. Here we and it is the book of James. Anybody like the book of James? Yes, one of my favorite books. I, um, I read uh, Colossians. I read Ecclesiastes, parts of it. I was just trying to wrap my mind. First John, John, where we should go next. And I just landed here. So if we want to know our God, this is kind of the, the idea behind today's sermon. We ought to know, ought to have interest in knowing his family, his family. Because we can learn a lot about a person by learning more about their family of origin. I'll give you an example. Roughly 12 years ago, I really wanted to get to know a girl named Shannon. But Shannon took little interest in me at the time. She was preoccupied by college and boyfriend and um, these other things. So I decided in the meantime to get to know her family. And that's what I did because they were attending our church. And I, I thought to myself, what a better way to get to know the family than to have them dog sit for me, my puppy, who happened to be adorable. If he's great, they may think I'm great. If he's cute, they may think I'm cute. This could go well for me. So I had not factored into my logic that I had a 30 to 40 pound puppy, St. Bernard puppy, who loved to chew on things. And so, as you can tell, my plan kind of backfired. And within the first day of being at their home, my dog, whose name was Hickory Nut, reached down and pulled out of the ground um, their solar lights around all of their landscaping and shredded the plastic across the driveways. And that was my introduction to my in-laws. And so we navigated through some things. We went to counseling. We got over it, and we finally became friends. No, I'm just kidding. We, we had a great relationship. But then I decided to go fishing with Shannon's dad, and then I decided to go on a walk with her brother, the whole idea being that I want to know what's influenced Shannon. I want to know um, what has shaped Shannon and why Shannon has grown to be the person that I am increasingly fond of and have developed this profound liking to. And this ought to be true also with our relationship with Jesus. If we really want to get to know Jesus, we can certainly listen to him and learn a lot from him directly, but we ought to want to know more about his friends who are called the disciples in the Gospels and also his family. And a great way to get to know Jesus through his family is via the book of James because, well, it's written by his brother. Controversial as it may be, we're going to talk about that in a moment. The sad truth is that as it pertains to Jesus' family, we don't have a whole, whole lot to lean on. There's not much said about Jesus' family. There's not much said about his childhood. Um, there's not a whole lot even in our creeds. The early church wrote statements like, he's born of a virgin Mary and suffered under Pontius who? Pilate. Did you ever read, read that and think Pilates, by the way? Pilate, okay? And also, um, even in the creeds, it just kind of skips a big 
segment of his life, really all of his life. He's born, he suffered. And how would you like if your obituary read that way? Born on this state, suffered and died on this state, and that's it with nothing in uh, between. But if we look a little bit, we can discover some wonderful facts about Jesus through, again, his family, because his family saw him as a boy, and his family saw him as an adolescent and as a young man. And if Jesus had been sinful, I think his family would have been the first to tell us about it. I mean, rest assured, James and the other brothers and sisters would have ratted him out. They would have written about it. They would have passed it down verbally over the generations. So um, if he'd have been sinful, we, we would have known through his family. Um, who's the first group of people to know when you make a foolish decision? Well, your family is. Who's going to bail you out when you're in jail? Your family is. We help each other through things. We know that we don't have it all together. We know our cracks, okay? And so, if Jesus would have had Pharaoh's flaws, James, Jesus' brother in our case, who would have observed him through the years, uh, would tell us. So as we learn more about Jesus, the most historical figure, human figure ever, Ever. Um, we're going to look to James for a little help, his bold little brother. We're going to start in James verse 1 of chapter 1. I'll tell you at the outset, we're not going to get far into James this morning because we have a lot of background that I want to explore over the next two weeks. James, we read, a servant, he's identifying himself, James, a servant of God and of the who? Does he say, my big brother? He says, the Lord Jesus Christ. So obviously, at the time of this writing, he's a grown adult. He's seen a lot of things in Jesus' life that he wouldn't have seen when Jesus was a kid, or I should more accurately say would not have believed when Jesus was a kid, but now he does. And he says who his addressees are to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And that's how he begins his letter. Who's he writing to? The 12 tribes in the dispersion, which is simply a way of saying the people of God that have been dispersed or scattered about all over the place. That's who I'm writing to. Um, he's writing to God's people, um, this network of churches. James is their leader. He's their overseer. He's their pastor. This would not be unlike Galen Hendrickson, who's the guy that brought me to the Midwest to Marshfield, writing a letter to Northridge and also sending, copying in on that letter, the Mill Church in Stratford and Edgar and Northridge Church Colby Abbey and the River of Life in Medford and saying, greetings, the people of God who've been dispersed. I've got some things that I want to talk to you about. The book of James is believed to be one of the first books written in the New Testament. A lot of these Christians, these believers that James are writing to, are at this point because Paul hasn't been at work as, as the, the traveler to the Gentiles yet in full force, so they are Jewish. I would look out here and, and guess that 
the supermajority, if not all of us, are non-Jewish. We are Gentiles. That wasn't the case with James' audience. These were people that believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and also have recently professed faith that Jesus is indeed God's son, and they're worshiping the resurrected Lord, okay? So, this is who he's writing uh, to. It's obvious in the opening sentence of this book what his opinion is about his brother because he opens by calling him Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus, my brother, is highly exalted. He rules. He reigns over everything. He uses the name Christ. He's the, he's saying, Savior of humanity. He could have used the word Messiah interchangeably. In other words, this guy isn't just somebody that I exchange noogies and swirlies with. This is someone that I worship. This is someone that I adore. This is someone that I treasure. This is someone who's preparing a home for me in heaven. This is Jesus. Did we play Fortnite until 4 a.m.? Sure we did. But I've since discovered, I've since discovered that he's worthy of my praise. He's my God. It's the tone with which James writes. He refers to himself in relation to Jesus as what? James A. A servant. Now we're going to contend um, that James is indeed Jesus' biological brother. There's some debate over that idea. Um, why doesn't Jesus, um, or why doesn't James sort of just come out and say that? Just tell us that he's Jesus' brother. I would say. First of all, he didn't necessarily need to. Um, Jesus, at this point, has just amassed crowds unforetold. He's performed signs and wonders. Um, it's likely that everybody knew who Jesus' brothers and sisters were. He wouldn't have had to lead with that. If I go to my hometown, I'm not going to introduce myself as Zachary, brother of Meredith. Right? Although I'd be proud to do so. I love my little sister. Um, it wouldn't be necessarily what he just leads with. Okay? So a second reason, he doesn't come out and just declare, hey, I'm, I'm Jesus' biological brother, is that there are a lot of other guys named, named James in the New Testament. And those writers will say, will say directly, James, son of this guy. James, son of... That guy, our author, is so well known that perhaps he doesn't need added clarification. And then a third reason to just not come out and say, hey, I'm Jesus' brother, um, is perhaps because he didn't want to give an impression that he was what? He was proud, that he was haughty. Jesus came not with a sword and scepter, but with a a basin and a towel, and he washed people's feet, and he was known as, as a humble servant. James, wanting to be in his likeness, would have came across in the same way, saying, my, my job, I'm the servant. My job is to serve Jesus. That's why I'm here. He's Lord over me. I'm servant under him. Jesus came not to serve 
or rather not to be served, but to serve. I want to follow in his, in his footsteps and acknowledge that's my calling to serve. But the question still remains. Even though he wouldn't have necessarily said, I'm the brother of Jesus, is he really the brother of Jesus? There are approximately 50 uses of the name James or um, recordings of, of the name James in the New Testament, all of them referring to between, depending on what scholar you ask, five to eight men. Are you tracking me? 50 roughly mentions of the word James, all referring to one of five to eight different men. There's some debate over whether this James is all also this James. That's why you get the ambiguity of five to eight as opposed to seven, you know, concretely. So we see this throughout the New Testament. And some say, well, that makes the Bible unreliable. Well, let me ask you this question. How many gems do you know? How many Bobs do you know? How many Michaels do you know? How many Williams do you know? How many Johns do you know? How many Marys, Patties, Jennifers, Lindas, and Beths do you know? Do you know what I've just done? I've just given you the top five and the top five boys and girls' names according to Social Security over the course of the last 100 years. Okay? There's a lot of people by those names. Linda knows. Just ask her. There's a lot of Lindas. Where's James? Heeg. Did you know that James is the number one name for a boy in the last 100 years? You knew that. You shook your head yes. No. You should be darn proud of that. You know what that means? That means everybody thinks James is a great name. And indeed it is. Give James an applause for having a great name. Historically. Okay? So... Isn't it ironic, by the way, that the same name that's used most now was used so often in Jesus' day, as popular now as popular then? There's basically three positions on who James was. And one has kind of been, for the most part, dismissed over the centuries, but I'll mention it to you quickly. Another is, is held strongly by... Roman Catholics in particular, and then the last, I would say, is held most commonly between pretty much everybody but uh, those who worship in the Roman Catholic Church. The first position, which we don't describe to and uh, ascribe to and few do, is that James and Jesus were stepbrothers, meaning that before marrying Mary, Joseph actually had another wife, a prior marriage that in, including uh, producing children like James, and that perhaps she died, his first wife, and that he became a widower, and he then married Mary. 
Okay, again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. It's speculative. There's really no biblical evidence for it. Um, but it is a viewpoint that has been documented. And I would say to the contrary, we have every reason to believe biblically that Joseph and Mary were each other's firsts, that they were poor, that they were young, that they were rural, and that this was their first marriage. Okay? Um, second position uh, the, the one that's so often held by the Catholic Church is that James and Jesus were cousins, not brothers. The thought here is that the word brother uh, and the word sister, also in the Catholic Bible, um, is a word that was commonly used to mean uh, he or she in the Christian faith. And so this position holds that those words are not narrowly defined to my biological sibling, um, but rather can refer to one's extended family, one's close friend in the faith. And on this, we would say it is possible, it is possible that this is true, but it's not probable that it's true. And here's a thought, a few thoughts on why. Why would Jesus' uh, extended family receive uh, more attention than his adoptive father? We know very little information about Joseph, but it keeps mentioning, keeps mentioning, keeps mentioning Jesus' brother and his sisters. Why would the scriptures do that if, if they weren't brothers and sisters biologically? So we've also got to look at it historically because a few hundred years after Jesus came and, and died and ascended into heaven, um, this council of men, it was a very patriar patriarchal society, so this council of men met, and they came up with this phrase um, that's similar to a phrase, if you were in the Marine Corps, that you would recognize, semper what? Fi. What does semper mean? Anybody know? Forever? Always? Um, so ever, what does fi mean? I'm not even certain. Faithful? Somebody said, is that correct? So always faithful. So semper virgo, this council met and defined, met ever what? Virgo sounds like virgin. Ever, always a virgin. So those who met in this council espoused and really put forward for the first time in human history, three, four hundred years after Jesus, that Mary not only was a virgin when Jesus was born, but continued to be a virgin. Therefore, Jesus had no brothers and no sisters. It was one immaculate conception and no other conceptions, okay? And that is a viewpoint that is held by the Catholic Church to this day. Therefore, Jesus and James are cousins, so goes the argument, and not uh, brothers. This leads us to our third Third option is that Jesus and James were half-brothers. The most accurate reading of the scriptures leaves us with this impression. This is that Joseph and Mary got married through a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Mary conceived and gave birth to Jesus. It's the only birth that ever, ever happened that did not involve both egg and sperm in the history of humanity. It involved an egg and God. 
Now, if you don't believe in the supernatural, I understand that's a major stretch. If you believe in the supernatural, it's not a leap at all, is it? It's just something else that God does in addition to the several hundred people he healed in El Salvador. Um, Gosh, I wish we would see more of that in the United States of America. Another argument for another day on why it is we don't hear nationally, but God does miracles, and I hope you believe in the supernatural virgin birth. If you believe in a creator God who can do things that men cannot, again, not a stretch. After Jesus was born then, the marriage was consummated by Mary and Joseph, eggs and sperm mixed together, a big family over the course of years was produced, including not only brothers, but also sisters. And while we know very little about them, we're going to learn a little bit more about them this morning. We're going to begin the Gospel of Mark. We're going to get out of James and do a little bit of history in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 21. Chapter 3, verse 21, and verses 31 through 32. And our goal this morning is to paint a picture of what the impression or the thoughts of Jesus were like in the minds of his family members. Because James is one of them, okay? That's where we're going. Verse 21, and when his family or Jesus' family heard it, They went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Now, what in the world is going on in this text? Because we didn't give you any background to this. This is early in Jesus' ministry. He's like 30 years old at the time. He's left his mom and dad by this point. Like some of you, soon-to-be college students, Jesus is out preaching. He's out teaching. He's left mom and dad. He's going off into the sunset of college or joining the military. He's starting a career. He's at that stage of his life. He's living on his own. Own. And so naturally, his family is not with him day to day, but they are, like many of you who have children in college, with him intermittently, so often. And so on long weekends, on the holidays, um, they know one another, they love one another, they are intertwined, just not on a daily basis. And I'll say as a, a little bit of a tangent, None of Jesus' disciples are his biological siblings. You hear the word James, but that's a different James. So the text gives us an indication of what Jesus' family is thinking at this time in his life, does it not? What's the summary? Jesus' family thought he was absolute nuts. They did. They thought he'd lost his mind. He'd been saying he was God. He'd been saying he was a king. He'd been saying he was the savior. And like most parents of cult leaders, I would assume, I mean, how would you feel if you went home and read your son or daughter who's away's Facebook post and it said, I just wanted to announce today that I've determined I'm God. Three followers. (laughs) You'd be a little concerned, wouldn't you? 
This is how his family feels. All of a sudden, your brother's in the news. All of a sudden, people are coming out of the woodwork. He's talking about judging the living and the dead. And Jesus' family is like, we got to get our boy home. We've got to shut and lock the door. We need to buy some essential oils and some chamomile tea, and we need to get our boy healthy again and right. His oars aren't in the water. My grandpa would say, his cheese has slipped off his cracker. He's a few fries short of a happy meal. This isn't going well. Today we would call this an intervention. This is exactly what Jesus' family is doing. They're intervening. They think their son or her son, Joseph's son, their brother has lost his mind. Why is this text important to us in a study of James? Because perhaps some of you have the very same impression of Jesus. The same view as family did. I mean, he's smart. He's a great teacher. He's, he was able to garner a, a following. I'm just not sure that he's God. And if you do have that view, it's more than okay because you're at the same place in your journey as was his own flesh and blood. His own family. Most of you understand, right, the craziness that is Christianity. Like you understand how crazy it is an idea that you believe when you stand or sit in here every Sunday morning. That a man stood up and claimed in a synagogue that he's God. And that more songs have written, been written about him and and sung to him and more poetry about him and, and paintings and, and, and books written about him than any other person in history. But it started with a man who stood up and said that he was God. I mean, you realize how crazy that is? And some have said, this is a ruse. Some say today, this is some shell game. This is a con man, and his family was in on it. No, they weren't. They weren't. Jesus' own family didn't believe him at first. They were concerned about him. They loved him. They pursued him. They didn't let him just, just go. They didn't disown him. They intervened. They showed up amongst a crowd. They said, somebody, go get Jesus. Tell him his mom and his brothers are here. We love him. We're afraid. He needs to come home with us. This story continues in Mark chapter 6, where James actually and in particular dishonors Jesus. And here's the conversation. Verses 3 and 4. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And then here's some of his family members that are also listed by the observers. The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. So here we have named Jesus, his mother, four of his brothers. And next you'll hear us read about his sisters. This is a big family. He's like some families at the Mill Church, frankly. And by way of a tangent, how rough must it have been to have been 
Jesus' brother and also named Judas and have to live the rest of your life with people saying, oh, you're that guy? And be like, no, no, I'm not that, no, <laughs> right? My name is Al-Mikulski, not Al-Baghdadi, okay? That's not me. It's similar, but not, not the same guy. Are not his sisters here with us? So you've got Jesus, James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, four kids, plus Jesus makes five, plus sisters. And they took what? They took offense. Jesus' own family was offended at what Jesus was saying. And Jesus said to them, a prophet. It's the way he begins. He's calling himself a prophet. He's saying, I'm like Moses. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. A prophet has tons of honor except here among his relatives and in his household. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I go out, I preach, I teach, I multiply lunchables. Lots of people come to listen, but not my own family. They're the ones who are disbelieving. Anybody experience anything like that ever? Don't raise your hand if your parents are here. <laughs> Everywhere I go, people admire me. Except at mom and dad's. Except with my... Have any of you ever tried to convince your parents of something only to have it backfire? Have you ever tried to convince your brother or sister of something or all of them of something only to have it backfire? This happens. What happened to Jesus? His brothers, his family, his sisters didn't honor them. Others were listening, but they weren't listening. Others were following. They're not following. How lonely must Jesus have been in this moment? He knows his days are numbered. He knows the cross awaits him. He knows death is coming, and he doesn't even have the support of what unit? His family. I don't want to take this too far. They're not mean to him. They don't hate him. Um, In fact, they keep pursuing Jesus, loving Jesus. But what we're certain of is that they don't believe Jesus. Sometimes our family members, I really hope this resonates with somebody here who's been struggling with this today. Sometimes our family members are the very last people to see who it is that we have become. Why? Well, in part because none of us were sinless like Jesus And they saw all the foolishness that we reveled in as children. And so that's the context through which they view us as young, budding, or older adults. Jesus, however, he had not even sinned. His parents' unwillingness to receive him did not, did not, Uh, was not based on something that he'd done. 
Maybe you're in the same boat with Jesus' family. You know a little bit about Jesus. You may say he's a good person at heart. You're not opposed to him, but you're not convinced yet that he's God. You know what? They warmed up to it. Who's clinging at the foot of the cross when Jesus dies? His mother Mary. Worshiping. Who's also there? Not yet a believer, if I recall. But who's also worshiping there is, is her, his brother. And Jesus looks at him and says, Son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. Take care of Jesus. Excuse me. Jesus said that to his disciple, John, the beloved. But still, mom was there. Mom was worshiping. Mom was adoring God. And my prayer is that you too may warm up to it, just like Jesus' family did. So, I'm going to bring this to a close. The story continues in, of James in particular doubting Jesus in the Gospel of John. You may remember in John chapter 2, the family is present at his first miracle at Cana in Galilee. Do you remember what Jesus did on that occasion? He turned water into wine. By now they've seen him do amazing things. Things And then in John chapter 7, a few chapters later, verses 2 through 5, this is what we read. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. That was like a holiday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, something like that. So his brothers said to him, this is his brother's collective, brothers with an S. This is the group being like-minded and saying something, something to Jesus. Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And here comes the tale of the tape. For not even his brothers believed in him. Here's what his brothers are saying. You think you're a big deal, bro? Take your ideas, take your miracles, take what we believe to be sleight of hand and go to the big city and go to the intellectuals. Go to the Big Apple. Take this thing public. Go for it. Have you ever disagreed with someone to the point where you said, if that's how you really feel, just go for it. And what were you really thinking when you said that? You were thinking, I know in my mind I'm right. I know in my mind you're wrong. And to prove that I'm wrong and you're, excuse me, that I'm right and you're wrong, well, let's just go for it. Because that's what's going to prove it. Exactly what his disciples are saying that's a heart of what's going on with Jesus' brothers. You say you're God, you say you're creator, you say you're the savior, go to the big city, tell it to everybody publicly, prove it. See, if your family is complicated, 
if your family is discouraging, if your family is hard, you are not alone. Even in good, and and I've been a little tough on Jesus' family today, but even in good, devout, godly families, there, there are moments of discouragement and opposition. And Jesus experienced this. By the way, don't you just love, doesn't it make your family feel a little more normal to see the humanity in Jesus' family and the Son of God's family? Like, they're a little crazy. Is your family a little crazy? Like, welcome to the club. Like, so is Jesus' family. These are real people. They're not walking around with halos on. So we're going to stop there this morning. Next week, in the other half of this introduction, we're going to see a transition and then a complete transformation in the thoughts about Jesus by his family members, including his brother James, who's authored this great book that we're about to take in. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would bless our study In these upcoming months, we pray, Lord, that you would just fill us with practical wisdom. Lord, I pray in particular as a dad with with kids who has trouble controlling my tongue. And at times lashing out. Lord, that the chapter on the tongue being a restless evil full of deadly poison will resonate here in the hearts of many and that we'll collectively confess our sin of mouthing off. Lord, I pray that you'd use this great text to change us, to mold us, to make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.